now listening to Grace City Portland. The kids kind of did the, the, the Gospel of Luke rendition of the Gospel. We're actually going to go to Matthew now. So if you have a Bible um, or a phone or something, you're, you're very welcome to grab that and open it up. Or you can also even grab one of our Bibles in the box. There's some boxes in the aisleways here, and you're very welcome to grab one of those. Of course, as always, we will have uh, the text on our screen here as well. But we're going to go to the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 18. This is the, the Christmas story um, from, from Joseph's perspective, actually. If you read the, the Christmas story according to the Gospel of Luke, it's actually done from the mother's perspective, uh, from Mary's perspective. Matthew, he, he gets Joseph's perspective. So we're going to read that, and then um, yeah, we'll go from there. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed or promised to be wed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just or decent man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah, quote, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Jesus. Emmanuel, or he shall be known as Emmanuel, that is, God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, this was all a dream, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, of course he was the Roman appointed uh, ruler of that area. When he heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where this Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, this is the prophet Micah, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, then Herod summoned all the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. 
And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in another dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until it was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt I called my son. That's the Christmas story according to Matthew's gospel. Who doesn't love that story? It's the Christmas story. It's, I'm not a particularly sentimental person, but that story even gets me. It's, I mean, it's just rich in nostalgia. Uh, the story of the birth of Christ in this manger in Bethlehem and the star and the, and the, the, the running to Egypt and the, the Herod, the baddie, seeking out the child to destroy him. Of course, the magi, the wise men from the east. And we, of course, we don't know that there was three per se, but there were three gifts, so arguably there were three magi from the east or astronomers, essentially, is I think what we would call them these days. Um, I remember as a kid being slightly uh, troubled by the nature of these gifts that the Magi brought, uh, the baby Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Does anyone even know what myrrh is? Does anyone even know what frankincense is? Is it actually liquid? That, that little bottle of frankincense looks an awful lot like the, the, uh, the vinegar from my kitchen, actually. Uh, myrrh, did someone say embalming fluid? I, I read someplace recently that myrrh was actually used in the ancient world as like a type of embalming substance. That could be totally wrong. But I remember thinking like, what a, what a terrible thing. Now, of course, we read this in just in one setting, but if, if you kind of step back and, and connect some of the dots, you'll realize that the whole Magi thing with the gifts and the, and the, the seeking them out and hair, this, was, this would have been like at least a couple of years later. Um, Jesus would have been a toddler, perhaps, at this point. And so the Magi bring toddler Jesus, gold, frankincense, and bummer, right? Like on his birthday. Uh, Speaking of gifts, is anyone expecting anything good this year? No? I know, I know we're not supposed to talk about material things, uh, but let's be real. Is anyone expecting anything good this year? Is anyone hoping? Um, I'm one of the worst people to get gifts for because uh, I'm, I'm very, very practical uh, you know, the whole, like, five love languages thing. Have you ever heard of this? Everyone has, like, a particular way of receiving, giving love. A gift, gifts are at the bottom of my, my language. Unless I can see obvious value to the gift that you, you've given me, I'm like, eh, like, what? You should have just given me cash, or at least a voucher. <laughs> socks, someone said socks. I remember when I was a kid, 
I, I remember this so vividly. My dad, every single year without fail, would get a new pair of boxers from my mom. And uh, I remember thinking, like, ah, that's rough. That's rough for the old man. <laughs> Who wants boxers or socks, for that matter, for Christmas? Now that I'm a dad, I would kill for a new pair of boxers. I actually really need new boxers. Don't worry, I'm going to get back to the Bible. Just, this is all connected. Let me ask you this. What do you think God thinks you need the most for Christmas this year? That, that's a serious question. What do you think God thinks you or we or the world needs more than anything else for Christmas this year? Jesus. That is, that is the correct answer. Mm-hmm. Jesus. And that's, of course, that, that is the essence of the Christmas story. That God himself gave himself in the person of Christ. It's the miracle of Christmas that God entered into the world. He became one of us. I know for a lot of us, that's just like, like, am am I really supposed to believe that? Yes, it's one of the great miracles of, of life. Absolutely. And I would say it's utterly, one of, if not the most utterly unique thing about the Christian faith, story of the gospel. It's about the God who created the universe and then didn't just step back as some sort of theistic being, waiting, hoping, seeing how we'll fend in this crazy world that we've been left to live in. No, he enters in. He enters right in to the human predicament and he doesn't just distribute like gift vouchers, as much as I appreciate a good voucher. He gives himself. What, what, what do we need? What does the world need more than anything else? Jesus, yes, but like, let's unpack that. Hope, hope, love, like real love. Not just the feels, like love. Life transforming love. Peace. Joy, kindness, patience. Like this, is the, this is the stuff that we really need in life. Some of you might have been thinking, I'll tell you what I need. I need a Tesla. I need, I need that, that dream spouse that I've been thinking of, and, and I need to just retire by 30. That's what I need. Well, maybe. Now, what the world really needs, I am utterly convinced, what I need, what you need, we do need Jesus, but not just Jesus distributing the vouchers of of the stuff. We need the source himself, God, from whom all hope, like the things of lasting life, joy, love, these are the things that, that come from above. And so God gives himself. He comes down and he gives himself to us. That's the Christmas story. There's something, there's something else. I mean, there's many, many other things about this story. One of the things that stands out to me more than anything else 
It's not, it's not merely that God came down, but it's, it's the way God gives himself. Um, this is how Matthew begins. He says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And then the writer, Matthew, goes on to describe not an arbitrary detail, but like very specific intentional detail, the way in which God came down. And it's not, it's not a pretty picture. It's, it's actually, it's not, if we had read on, we would have gotten to the bit about how Herod, because the, the magi, the, the wise men, were warned in a dream to go home another way, it said that Herod flipped out and declared infanticide in Bethlehem, the entire region. He said, go and find every infant two years and younger and murder them. That's actually the end of the Christmas story, but you know, I don't want to kill the joy. It's a dark story. I mean, it's an intense story. This is the way that God comes down. This is the way God chooses to introduce himself, to reveal himself in the flesh, flesh and bone, just like us. This is the Christmas story. Three, three things. How does God come down? In what way does God reveal himself? Shame, poverty, and oppression. I would say you might be able to discern a couple of more, but when God comes down, this is how, or this is the way in which he introduces himself. Number one, he, he, he enters into the shame of this young couple. It's said that Joseph, before they came together, found his wife, his virgin wife, to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and so Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, decided, I'll just divorce her quietly, which I suppose is better than like open and public shame, but in that, that culture, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, in first century Palestinian Judaism, it would have been utterly shameful uh, to, not, to be an illegitimate child coming into the world in that way, but to be the mother and the, the illegitimate father, at least from the outside looking in. That would have been, I mean, that kind of shame, it would, have, it would completely ruin a, pe- a person's life. They would have been ostracized from their family. They would have been rejected by the community. They would have been considered just, just defiled. Shame, deep, deep shame. This is where God begins his life. Of course, it wasn't, anything that Mary had done, um, which is, I think, I think interesting, because oftentimes if we just consider, well, how, you know, where do I connect with the story? If God were to enter into my life, to my stuff, my world, where might I find him? I would say begin by considering the parts of your life that you work the hardest to hide from everyone else. And I would argue that could be the bit that wasn't necessarily your fault, wasn't your doing, wasn't your choice. It may have been. If you're like myself, you've probably made some horrific choices, some embarrassingly bad choices. 
And there could very well be aspects of your life that you are ashamed of, and that's all on you. But there's also things that happen to us in life that we didn't ask for. And it's the stuff we try to cover up or compensate for, justify away, and it's, it's the aspects of our lives that we are deeply ashamed of. And we didn't ask for it. And I think there's a precedent in the story that would say that's where God introduces himself. That's where he enters in to the story of human life. Secondly, this is chapter 2, verse 6. Micah, the prophet that uh, was quoted from, it says, And O you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah shall by no means be least among the rulers of Judah. It, meaning Bethlehem was the least among all of the cities or sub-tribes in the region of Judea. It was a nowhere town. And in fact, if we read on, we find out that Jesus may have been born in Bethlehem, but originally his parents were from Nazareth. And after they came back from Egypt, that's where they ended up settling. He was a kid who was born in Bethlehem, like the least of all of the cities in Judea, and ended up growing up in Nazareth, which was known as just like a deadbeat town. You know, like when you're from some place that no one's ever heard of, you typically, like when people ask the question, you tell them, well, I'm from the other place, which is the actual city next door to the place that you were born in or are from. Nazareth is like that. It's a dump. God enters into poverty. Poverty. And I think just to make the point, we're not just talking about like material poverty, financial poverty. That was obviously the case. Which makes me think perhaps that's why God saw fit for the wise men from the east to bring the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. From what I understand, these are very valuable treasures. And I reckon the little family needed some help. But I think oftentimes in our Western world, as some, some of us are fairly broke. I don't, I don't got a lot of cash on hand. I'm taken care of. I'm blessed. But I'll tell you more often than not where I see the kind of poverty that, that I connect with the most in our world, it's not, it's not a material poverty. It's a poverty of the soul. It's the kind of poverty that can make you feel like I've got very, very little to offer this world or God himself for that matter. Isn't it a human phenomenon that we, we think that if God were to actually appear in my life, if he were to somehow interject into my situation, bless me, heal me, help me, lead me, provide for me, or whatever the, the situation might be, the need might be. We have this, this way of thinking that, well, God's going to, he will help those who help themselves. That's in the Bible, right? Totally not. It's like the opposite of, of the story of the scripture. But we do have, and we live in the world, a world, culture, society that tells us, no, you, you do your best and then God might supplement your efforts. That's where you'll find God at work. After you've run out, after, after you've given everything you've got, then God might see how, uh, 
worthy you are. Oh, that's not how God enters into this story. He's born into a family with nothing. A teenage girl and a guy named Joseph who apparently have nothing. They're living in utter poverty. I remember um, when Shirley and I were, uh, when Shirley was pregnant, I love it when guys say, when my wife and I were pregnant with, when Shirley and I were pregnant with our little boy, Isaac, we were, uh, this, was, this was when we were still living in London, we went to, a, what did they call it, an antenatal class. I think they call it Lamaze here, isn't what they call it? Like you go to like the class that teaches you how to have a kid, and if you're the husband, you help your, your wife have the kid. And there was about a dozen of us in the room, and I remember uh, the lady that was leading it was kind of opening up the dialogue a little bit, and they said, you know, what can you do to help your partner? How, how can you assist her or support her in that moment? And people are throwing out ideas, saying, like, you know, hold her hand or stroke her hair or, or say affirming words, and all the women are like, <laughs> And then we're thinking, we're thinking, and then without actually thinking about it, I blurted out, pray. And everyone laughed. Everyone in the room was like, ha, 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 good one. And then some other guy was like, yeah, I guess if all else fails... And that's, I think that's very telling. That's very telling of how we think about how God enters, interacts with us. If all else fails, after you've given everything you've got, then maybe God will come in and, and pick up the slack. That's the opposite of the Christmas story. He enters in to a life of utter poverty, of lack, of without and he doesn't pick up the slack. He is the hero of the story. When you've got nothing to begin with, God is there. Thirdly, finally, chapter 2, verse 13, Herod, as we read, after he discovered that he had been duped by the Magi, so wise, he said, seek out the child because I want to destroy him. And so the angel said to Joseph the dream, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for him to destroy him. God introduces himself. He comes down not only in shame and poverty, but in an oppressive world system, in a situation, in a, in a government, governmental system, if you will, that is literally actively seeking to destroy the author of life, where there's a glimpse of hope, a little bit of light, breaking out of the darkness, there's a system in place that is actively seeking to kill the child. Now, I don't want to sound... I don't want to talk about the infanticide that Herod commits because he needs to find this would-be king that's threatening his system of oppression and control. But there is something about the world we live in. 
It's not as natural as you would think it is to simply be full of joy and full of peace and full of hope. There's something else at work in our world that seems to be actively working against joy and peace and hope and life. I mean, when my kids were born, uh, especially Judah, he's a little giggler. Man, that kid just, his laugh. It was the most natural thing. Joy and giggles and the runs were like the most natural thing in the world for him. But you know, then a kid grows up and we grow up and the world happens. You realize there's something else going on in our world. And the scriptures talk about um, spiritual forces of wickedness, principalities. There seems to be, it's like a, it's described as a clash of kingdoms. A kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. You know how the Gospel of John tells the Christmas story? Most of you are like, oh, I don't think it's in there. No, it's in there. It's like one line. He says like this, John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. This is all it says about the Christmas story. In him, that is the Christ or God in the flesh, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's the Christmas story, according to John. The light shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Apostle Paul, he writes in one of his letters that the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, talking about creation, But the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There are oppressive tendencies at work in our own heart because of the world that we live in and have grown up in and the breakdown in families and systems and, and, and politics and everything else we all know about. God says, let light shine out of darkness. Because God didn't just come down. He was also lifted up. God in Christ didn't just enter into the darkness. He shone out. He is the light who entered in and overcame all darkness. He conquered shame. He became shame for us that we might know the dignity of becoming legitimate children of God. He became poor so that we might experience a richness in him like nothing that this world has to offer, a richness of soul, an eternal life as it were, In this life and in the life to come. And he overcame the darkness. Where there might be oppressive systems at work in the world we live in. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Not entirely, anyways. But there are dark forces. You can't deny it. And it's not you, it's not you, it's not them. So there's something in the, the human heart that seems broken and corrupt. 
So God comes down, he enters in, and he says, let light shine out of my heart. Because God didn't just come down, he was also lifted up. You want to open this? in anticipation, man. <laughs> Intense. What do you think it is? Are you any guesses? Boxers, I wish. <laughs> yeah, can I have it, please? Yeah, I just want the cross. You can keep the box. I just want that. Thanks. Yeah, this is it. Altar call's coming, my man. <laughs> he was feeling it. Because God not only came down, he was lifted up. Meaning he was lifted up on a Roman cross. Meaning he took my shame onto himself. He took my poverty onto himself. He took all of the darkness in the world onto himself. And he died for us. He was lifted up. He was crucified. He was buried. And then he came back to life because the darkness has not overcome him. That's the Christmas story. Can we stand together, please? Can I invite the band up, please? to worship as we close and I want to invite you to take this moment as we normally do to simply reflect in Luke's telling of the the story um, again it was from Mary's perspective it said that she treasured all of these things in her heart she pondered what these things meant and treasured them in her heart as my hope for us as a church, for every one of you in here, is that you would know Jesus as the treasure of your soul. That it would be more than just a nostalgic story. That it would be a growing reality in your heart, in your life. And that where there is shame, where there is poverty, where there is oppression or anything else, where there is darkness, you would experience more of his light, more of his life. Not just in sentiment, not just in feels, but in the reality that God is with us.